Hello, another cold opening today. No theme music. I didn't get round to trying to compose something for this episode. But yeah, I am back, and hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, otherwise known as Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This is episode 291, recorded on Friday, the 13th of December, 2019, and the time it is 23.20.50. Yes, we are back. And there's quite a lot in the show this week. I have not been doing a great deal, but it seems like it's been a while since the last episode. Though I just had a look at the date of the previous episode, it wasn't that long ago. So I'm not sure how I ended up with so much, so many topics, so many things. I think the biggest thing, personally that isn't directly geek-related, is that I bought a bed. For the past... I don't know how many years. Let's see, it's 2013. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Six years I've been sleeping on a terrible single bed. It's one of those divan things, but it's a cheap one, so it doesn't actually have any box springs, but it has a hardboard top, on which was an Argos mattress. The mattress actually wasn't that bad, but you don't want to sleep on something that cheap for so long. And not if you're my weight and size either. Although I'm not gigantic, but... I am fairly dense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dense in body, not in mind. Anyway, the old bed has been dead for a while and very uncomfortable. And I was in a charity shop not so long ago. And there in front of me was a king-size bed. And I just bought it <laughs> almost immediately which is something I rarely do. I like to have a look at something, go away, think about it, and then come back. But there wasn't time to do it in this case. That bed would have been gone quite quickly. Uh, Like I said, it's a king-size bed, thank God. So no more turning myself into the human pretzel. It wasn't as cheap as it should have been, but it was a lot cheaper than buying the same thing new. I know, because I checked online afterwards. Which is something you don't really want to do. You want to check that you're getting a bargain before you actually buy the thing. But like I said, I didn't have enough time. And actually, while we're on the subject, why are charity shops so expensive? Don't they realise that their customers aren't exactly swimming in cash. I know that charity shops are not doing it for the benefit of the consumer, they're doing it to make a profit to fund their charities. But let's be realistic. It's people who are cash-strapped, who go to these places desperately looking for furniture. Sure, there are a few dealers, but most of the time it's people with not that much cash. Ah, yeah. So, what else? Ah, in my show notes, because I started them 
while the bed was in progress. It says, no doubt by the time I'm ready to tape the show, I'll be ready to unload a huge payload of complaints about how many problems the new bed has caused. But fingers crossed. That's what I said shortly before the bed arrived. A few days later, what was I thinking? Yeah, the first thing that I was thinking, actually while I was waiting for the delivery, was that big purchases. And it wasn't a giant purchase, but it was enough money that it made me really quite stressed. It's, I think, the most money I've spent all year long. It isn't as bad as the great boiler replacement money pit. I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure I've complained about that on my podcast, but that happened October last year. And that was ferociously expensive. It wasn't that bad, at least. I was also stressed before I put the bed together and got a good night's sleep because I'm a really bad sleeper. And in the show notes, I've said, this bed has a lot riding on it. Yeah, we'll just skate over that a bit. I was also hoping that the bed didn't turn out to be a white elephant on which you can't mahout your way to dreamland. Anyway, before the delivery, I also did some research and found out, and again in my notes it says, oh my god, how much do king-size sheets cost? Actually, I have done some more research and all bed linen costs quite a bit. Yeah, king-size sheets and linen cost more, but honestly, all bed linen costs quite a bit. I'm really not sure how people manage to actually sleep in their bed once they've bought the bed. So you've bought the bed frame, ouch, big dent in the wallet. You've paid for the mattress, another big dent in the wallet. And then you find out that you don't have any money left to actually buy sheets. But yeah, I did buy some sheets. I don't have an extensive compliment, but I've got enough to sleep on now. What else happened during the arrival of bed? Oh, they messed up the delivery. It was supposed to come on Wednesday. I bought the bed, I think it was last Tuesday. Anyway, it didn't come on that Wednesday, and it almost didn't come on the Friday. Luckily, in a fit of quite reasonable paranoia, I called the store at the very last moment and checked, and it transpired that they had completely messed up my delivery, and they had no idea that this thing that I had paid for and was still sitting in their warehouse, was supposed to be on its way to me. But that did get sorted out, and the thing arrived, and then there was all the stress and sweat, not just from the delivery man trying to get this to where it was supposed to be going, but also from me, while I was worrying about them bumping into stuff and knocking stuff, so I very closely supervised them. And this is something I'm really not comfortable about doing. I'm not the most assertive person, but the stakes were quite high and it forced me to, at least for half an hour or so, be a bit more assertive. 
it got to the bedroom, finally, no damage. And luckily there were only a few bolts to put the whole thing together. So I've managed to get it together on my own. I have a little IKEA mammoth stall, those little three-legged cute plastic stalls that you can buy. And I balanced the bed frame on one end while I did the headboard. And then when that was done, I handled the foot end of the bed. The bed frame itself is this framework of, I think it's mild steel, mostly chrome-plated, with the platform bit just grey-painted with wooden slats. And one of the good things is, because it's quite a huge bed, it spread my weight over a much greater surface area. So although the bed is a little bit heavier than the old bed, it's so much wider that it doesn't put as much strain on the floor. So now I don't really hear any creaks and groans every time I get on the bed. But really, it hasn't been <laughs> a great experience. Nothing's gone terribly wrong. Although, let's see, there was one washer missing from the headboard part of the bed frame. I'm hoping that's not going to make much difference. It doesn't seem to have made any difference so far, but I'll keep my eye out for another washer. But it does mean dismantling the headboard again, which I'm not looking forward to. And as usual, because of the way houses are built, in this country with the narrow corridors and normal sized doors but narrow corridors. It wasn't easy to get the bed to where it was going but the workman did manage it. What I didn't manage to do is successfully completely remove the old bed. Now the old bed's only a single bed and I tried to move it to another bedroom and that didn't work. I just couldn't get through the door, couldn't get the right angle to manoeuvre it into that other bedroom. So now it's just there in the corridor blocking everything. And uh, I don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> Apart from take a fire axe to it, which is what I'd dearly like to do. Which brings me to my recommendation. Oh, I've just realised. That awful idiot has just got into 10 Downing Street for another five years. <sighs> oh man, I don't really want to talk about the Prime Minister who shall not be named. Uh, yeah, well anyway, my recommendation for the country as a whole, if I was Prime Minister, is that the entire population should be rehoused in... Nice bungalows with giant exterior and interior doors to every area. Why is this good? Well, it'll make furniture moving and removal really easy. And can you imagine what that would mean to the economy if we could just have any furniture we want anytime we wanted it and easily move it throughout our homes? All those deliveries would fire up the economy and... Oh yeah, of course. It would really help Amazon. Why am I helping them? I'll stop that now.
What other downsides are to the bed? Well, okay. <laughs> I've got to admit, I didn't have much choice in the kind of bed that I could have. It was just there, it was a metal frame, it was a king size, that was enough. Now, with the chrome and the bed knobs that are made of solid glass, it really looks like something that should be in Disney's Frozen. It's not the most macho of beds. But, yeah, it's much better than that hobbity, headboardless, upholstered chest of drawers I had to sleep on before. And thus ends the fairly short saga of the bed. Oh, one thing I didn't tell you. I needed to recover after the delivery on Friday. After I put the frame together, so I put it together on Saturday, I was so tired putting the bed frame together, despite the fact that it wasn't that many bolts, that I couldn't even sleep in my new bed. I was just too tired to do it. I had to crawl down to the sofa and collapse on it and wake up a day later. <sighs> and thus ends the saga of the bed. I really need some more of my Mighty Malt before we carry on. Mm. I've been trying to eat healthier lately and also clock up some more steps. That seems to be going okay, but I'm in really bad shape. I'm so, so unfit. I don't even know what kind of joke I can make about this because it's not that funny. At the moment, anyway, I'm drinking my Mighty Malt, trying to fill up on the vitamin B and keep myself awake to do this podcast. So the next topic, which is full of positivity, is about death. I found out that Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog in DS9, died in September. This seems to be the sort of fact that I would have already mentioned on the show, but if I haven't, I'm mentioning it now, so R.I.P. Aaron Eisenberg. The other death of note that I noticed and meant something to me personally was of DC Fontana, who was a well-known and respected woman screenwriter. She worked on, and I suppose this is of most important to me, Star Trek, the original series. I don't like saying the original series. Look, if I say Star Trek from now on, I'm talking about the first show starring William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly. And I'm just going to refer to it from now on as Star Trek. Yes, she worked on some of those scripts. She also worked on some of the scripts for Babylon 5. And she was very well known in the industry as a prolific scriptwriter. R.I.P. D.C. Fontana. Oh, and she died early this month. I also recently found out that yet more relatives in my family had died, and had died some time ago, but no one bothered to tell us. Now that was just peachy. Let's move on to some births. And by births, I actually mean birthdays. 
from grumping about the recent deaths. Let's move on to celebrating some birthdays. And this week, we celebrated my parents' birthdays on Skype. This is probably the last year we'll have to do this remotely, as they are moving much nearer early next year. Happy birthday, Mum and Dad. And that's it for the personal stuff this week. Let's move on to culture. First of all, I just wanted to mention a few words about Lake Mungo. The reason I watched this film is that there is another podcast I listened to who were covering this film, so I watched it first and wrote down my own thoughts before listening to their episode. So here are my pure, unsullied, and brief words about the 2008 film. And by the way, let me just give a quick shout-out to the podcast that I'm referring to, and that podcast is... Christian Sagers and Charlie Bennett's Super Context podcast. Interestingly, they do exactly the opposite to what I do in my podcast, so they talk about how media are made rather than what was actually in them, and I'm less interested on the business of how things are made and more interested in the story. Although, I have to warn you, right at the beginning of my thoughts on Lake Mungo, that I did not watch much of it. Okay, Lake Mungo. It is a documentary-style, low-budget, I'm assuming, horror movie about a missing girl in this remote Australian town. She is eventually found drowned. Then this poltergeist-type haunting activity begins at her family's house. And that's all I actually know, because at 14 minutes and 52 seconds into watching it, I suddenly couldn't watch any more. This is what happened. I looked at the remaining hour and however minutes were left, and I really wish I could say that the reason I stopped watching at 14 minutes and 52 seconds was because it scared me out of my wits. But the sad truth is that it didn't. I'm really not the audience for this type of movie, and no offence to the creators, or minimal offence, but I don't like or need realism. I need a strong dose of escapism in my storytelling, So, I'm not sure that's a fair criticism, because that's something that is distinct to me. I do have an objective criticism, though, that I think is a little fairer, and that is that they should have saved even more money and exclusively used non-actors. The reason I'm saying that is because you can really tell when some of the actors are in actor mode. You know, they're in the mode of, I am an actor. And as I said that, I increased the distance between my legs and puffed out my chest like that scene in Blackadder. I think the reason for that is the actors they could get were 
how can I say this politely? And I'm not even sure of my facts because, like I said, I'm more interested in the story than the actual production. But they seem not the most experienced actors. And I'm sorry, I could be completely wrong. But yeah, it was a little annoying. It made me squirm a bit because you could really tell when the paid professional actors were acting. I found that jarring for something purporting to be a documentary format, which I assume the filmmakers were attempting. On the other hand, from what I saw of the film, the 14 minutes and 52 seconds... <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude. Okay. Yeah, from those short minutes, slightly less than a quarter of an hour, I believe that what I saw was well filmed and was an interesting story. And if you are into found footage type horror films, which I am most certainly not, then this might appeal to you. My final word of praise is that I found the Australian skies stunning. They were a really beautiful haunting backdrop to the fictional outback town of Ararat. Yes, it's called Ararat. Is this a homage to Clive Barker? I don't know. But that's my thoughts on Lake Mungo. I also watched much more recently, I think a day or two ago, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. This is a 2017 movie, and it was a fun distraction. It definitely wasn't as good as the Robin Williams original, but there are some very funny moments, like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson in smouldering mode, <laughs> and Karen... Gillen's dance fighting skills. Kevin Hart and Jack Black weren't bad either. And that's Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle from 2017. Next, a more current film that I saw was Ready or Not. This is a sort of final girl marries into society like family, and by society I am referring to the 1989 movie. This is a horror comedy, and much as I hate acting dynasties, I think Samara Weaving is a proto-scream queen, and is fun to watch. The film is entertaining, I would say, until the last few minutes, when something that happens doesn't really need to happen, I would have preferred a more ambiguous ending. We don't need to be spoon-fed things. We're a horror audience. We're above the hoi polloi. And still in the realm of horror, I saw Map to the Stars on BBC iPlayer. I think it's still available. I think I might have seen that yesterday or the day before. I'm not sure, but very recently. In this film, Mia Wachowski, the actress who plays Alice in the latest Alice in Wonderland films, 
is a maniac, and that is denoted by the initially unexplained black gloves. <laughs> the black gloves of Giallo. Which, incidentally, I like black gloves, but I'm not a maniac unless you call me a typo maniac, which I'll readily admit to. Oh, and by the way, please buy my book. And that wasn't a clumsy segue, we just organically got there. But yeah, I need people to actually buy my novel. If you like adventure, if you like Indiana Jones, if you like Agent Pendergast, if you like the Goonies, you will like my adult adventure set in London. And by the way, when I say adult, I don't mean like adult, mature, top shelf. I just mean for grown-ups. Although I could see YA age readers appreciating it too. And that book is The Horus Box. And that is out on Kindle now. Where were we? Oh, I was plugging my novel and now I've lost my track. Um, <laughs> Black Gloves of Giallo. Yes, so she arrives in LA and immediately takes a limo tour of Hollywood and then manages to inveigle her way into the lives of some really awful celebrities via her Hollywood connection, which is Carrie Fisher. The film is from 2014 and is a David Cronenberg film. It's a bit like the neon demon for rich actors instead of models, but without the dreamy look. Although there are little touches of fantasy elements in Maps to the Stars, it doesn't have that neon demon shimmer. The film also, I think, serves as an appropriately nasty career palette cleanser for previously nice Julianne Moore, prior to her role as a cannibal in Kingsman, The Golden Circle, in 2017. Although that's three years later, so she probably played some nasty roles in the intervening years between 2014 and 2017, but my research didn't reach that far. Research didn't reach? That just doesn't sound right. Anyway, the film is described as a drama comedy. That's wrong. It isn't. It's a horror comedy, as befits the David Cronenberg film. Let me pause for a moment and do some more highly unprofessional swilling of my drink into the mic. Mm. Well, not literally into the mic, into my mouth that's near the mic. The film is supposed to be a satirical look at Hollywood, but I think the remake of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1991, that was a TV movie, is much better at doing horror satire in Hollywood than Maps to the Stars. And that's worth a watch too. And so is the original, by the way, which I don't think I've seen. It's a film of the same name starring Joan Crawford. That's my thoughts on Maps to the Stars. Next, we move on to TV. 
I saw the morning show. This is a 2019 Apple TV series produced by Jennifer Aniston's and Reese Witherspoon's respective production companies. They are also the lead actresses. It's about a TV early morning team that is broken up when the male on-screen partner is outed by a Me Too whistleblower. The replacement is a serious firebrand reporter and drama ensues in the conflict between her and her senior soft news partner. The tone is a little strange. It starts like a horror film, and I know what horror films are. I've seen a lot of them. And then turns into a moody drama, then simply a drama, then a dramedy. That's a terrible word. Drama comedy. And on that subject of comedy, I think that the comedy element was a mistake. Because it feels like the show doesn't know what it wants to be. I also thought that the cast wasn't quite up to the demands of their roles. Except for the always excellent Reese Witherspoon. And black-clad Billy Crudup as the network's head of news. Whose character, I feel, is a direct rip-off of Ben Chaplin's editor from... The BBC's The Press from 2018. And by the way, The Press has been cancelled, but that's worth a watch if you're interested. The Press is probably still available on iPlayer in the UK and via other methods in other parts of the world. Although I think Billy Crudup injects a little more nihilistic humour into his character study than Ben Chaplin does. Now, I said that the Me Too movement was really central to this show, but I think it was handled clumsily. The script thinks it's nuanced, but it really isn't. There are some good points, apart from those two actors who I already mentioned, Reese Witherspoon and Billy Crudup. For example, issues of diversity are brought up, and the diversity of the cast also reflects media in general. And by that I mean there are a lot of white men with minorities struggling in the sidelines. It also examines the ongoing topical conflict between hard and soft news, The nastier, hidden side from behind the scenes of the media industry are also examined. There is backstabbing, dirty deals, and outright lies, all of which I have experienced firsthand. And we have talked about that before in this podcast, so I won't go into that now. But it can be a very, very nasty business. All in all, quibbles aside, this is a show about journalism, and so of course I watched it. In fact, I box-setted it. And that's The Morning Show. Another thing that I box-setted more recently, 
is Killing Eve, all eight episodes of season two of the Spy vs. Spy black comedy. I did that last night. Season two feels very different from the first season. It's more violent, nastier, and it has a slightly depraved edge. The writer slash showrunner is no longer Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and this season it feels more Bond-like, particularly with that nastier edge. Actually, that's a bit odd, because Waller-Bridge was hired to fix the script of the new Bond 25 film, No Time to Die, and yet the season that she is not involved with, of Killing Eve, feels more Bond-like. It is gripping, the episodes aren't too long, and as I said, I box-set it all eight, so I think you might enjoy this. But just be prepared for quite a lot of nastier violence. Next, The Mandalorian. Just before doing this podcast, I watched a few TV episodes while eating my pizza. The Mandalorian and The Expense, which we'll get onto in a bit, were the two things that I watched. And yeah, so the last episode of The Mandalorian was okay, and the series as a whole, I like the look of it, the whole blue-collar future that really came about because of Star Wars. And most of all, though, and the thing that has (laughs) torn the heart out of the audience is Yoda Baby. And, yeah, sure, the internet has decided that the name for this character is Baby Yoda, but that makes no sense, because it isn't the Baby Yoda. It is a baby of the same species as Yoda. And in the modern woke parlance, this character needs its own agency. So stop saying it's Baby Yoda. It isn't. It is Yoda Baby. Oh, okay. The series looks good, it is action-packed, it has Yoda Baby, but there is something about it that doesn't completely satisfy my nerdly requirements. I think it's that non-progression of the central story, because they have this thing about the Yoda Baby, but then every now and then they veer off into these entertaining but really ultimately self-contained side quests which really have nothing to do with the central plot. Sure, some of the side quests are good, but they are so derivative, like the Magnificent Seven episode, although everyone's been saying Seven Samurai episode, but it's the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. And I saw the Magnificent Seven long, long before I saw the Seven Samurai, because as a child my dad was really into westerns. And then there was the Prisoner Breakout today. And yeah, great stuff, a distraction, but we've only got a couple of episodes left and the main story doesn't seem to have really gone anywhere. I think somewhere in the planning of this season, plotitis set in. 
but we'll see what happens. I hope it's a good outcome for the Mandalorian and his adopted child, Yoda Baby. Ah, Yoda Baby. And on to the expanse. Amazon has dropped all of season four today, which almost puts a kink in me doing a podcast because I watched the first two episodes just before recording this. And it's gripping, but it is, as it always was, a little hard to follow, especially because there has been such a gap between the seasons. In any case, this was always a complicated series, but yeah, perhaps what you should do if you have the time and opportunity is maybe watch the last episode of season three before moving on to season four. I'm finally getting through my head what happened and picking up the threads, but it's taken me two episodes because of that long gap between three and four. In this season four, we finally go through those portal wormhole thingies to the new extrasolar terrestrial worlds and see what's on the other side. And that's all the clues I'll be giving you because this has just dropped today and I don't want to spoil it for you. I also watched a few days ago the last episode... Not the final episode, but the last episode that has been released of Mr. Robot. Sure, it was a back-slapping, triumphal episode, but given that there is so little time left, it felt indulgent, and I was hoping there would be more substance to it. I really hope this is going somewhere. I hope they don't do that thing that they did in the OA at the end of Mr. Robot, I really hope Sam Ismail doesn't lose it right at the end. The OA ended badly. If you take that weird fourth wall-y nonsense too far, because you're the showrunner and you're really popular and you let it go to your head and you be indulgent, you will mess it up. Think carefully of what you... Why am I telling Sam Ismail what to do? He's already done it. It's too late now. Uh, maybe I can go back in a time machine just to make sure that it all turns out as it should. I don't know. I don't know. What is the machine? <laughs> I have taken to listening to a couple of Mr. Robot podcasts just to decompress after each episode because I enjoy Mr. Robot so much. Can't remember off the top of my head which ones they are, though. But yeah, only a couple more episodes left. The final item of our culture section is the Jungle Prince. You've listened to this podcast long enough, and if you, like me, are really into gothic horror slash romance, I'm not talking about just wearing really tight black trousers and winkle piggers, I'm talking about Wuthering Heights, Dracula, that kind of thing. Then this little three-episode run on the New York Times, the Daily Podcast, is for you. 
If you've heard the daily podcast, it's usually about politics going on in America, but I'm guessing that the presenter either went on holiday or had a little break and they slotted in these three episodes about something completely different to keep us going until the regular show came back and it is absolutely brilliant. It is entitled The Jungle Prince. There are three episodes and it is about a lost Indian noble family. And that's all I can really tell you without spoiling it. You don't have to be Indian or of the Indian diaspora to listen to this. You will like it. I thought there were a few rough edges, though that's probably because this type of story isn't the reporter who reported on its usual beat. But I think it's still a really fantastic, horrific, tragic fairy tale that also happens to be entirely true. It is absolutely no surprise at all that The Jungle Prince has exploded on Reddit. And if you haven't heard about it, I don't know how you haven't, maybe you're not on the internet. Please go and Google this. And if you subscribe to The Daily Podcast, scroll back a bit and listen to those three episodes. And that's The Jungle Prince. And that's all for culture this week. And that's also all for this episode of Crash. There was quite a few more items in my show notes, but there is simply no way that I can get through them all and have a podcast that isn't ridiculously long. This will end up two hours long and will give me a major headache editing, so I'm going to move the other items to a future show. And so, my friends, that is all for now. The show that you're listening to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. I don't need to spell that again because I already have. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Terrible Name I Know, also known as Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode 291, recorded on Friday the 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th. Well, I did talk about a couple of horror movies, but ending on Saturday the 14th of December 2019 at 0016. 55. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Bye!